You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. I brought my wife with me. I've been married for 12 years. Uh, I want to introduce you to my family. You'll see a picture of them. Let's see. There they are. So my wife and I met when I was in San Francisco attending seminary. And someone invited her to my birthday party. And so my birthday is August 2nd. She walks in the door and I thought, man, the Lord really does answer prayers. And so I moved fast. I was 27, 28 years old. I believe in um, obedience because delayed obedience is disobedience. So I proposed to her in January. We got married in March, pregnant in June. We had our first child in San Francisco. Then we moved to Nashville where we had our next child, Mamie Caroline with the hat on. She has a lot of swag and she dresses herself. From there, we had a child in Arkansas that is Hallie sitting in between us. Uh, From Hallie, we moved to Phoenix and had a child in Phoenix that is Fallon. And so we have decided not to move anytime soon. And we bought a dog. And, and so we, we, are, we are done for a while, but this is a complete blessing. If you look at my life resume, I would say this is my greatest achievement. Is that I um, married a wonderful woman of God who loves the Lord more than she loves me. Um, I got to lead my, my son to Christ and baptize him. Um, So this is my greatest achievement, and let me tell you why it means so much to me. I was uh, raised by a father who was from Mexico, and he grew up in a household where he was often abused, and it's a family of alcoholics. And so my father wanted to escape this, and so in ninth grade, he he ran away from Mexico and, and came to Houston, Texas, where He met my mother who was in eighth grade, who she was raised in a home where she was abused physically, mentally, sexually, and so she wanted to escape that. So my father and mother meet in eighth, ninth grade. They run away together and have their first child at 16. Then I was the third child they had at 20. And so I was raised in this home where two broken people without Jesus were trying to figure out how to change what they grew up in. Um, Unfortunately, it never changed. My father continued to be an alcoholic um, and was on drugs. And I had to see every single night when my dad would come home drunk and beat my mother. And so as a little boy, I can remember just, just hearing the cuss words, seeing him drunk, seeing the, him throw dishes against the wall. And, and I'm sitting there watching this. And as a little boy, I keep thinking, I cannot wait till I get older so I can protect my mother. Well, one night we came home, my father beat my mother. He then passed out drunk um, on the couch. She took money out of his pocket. Uh, we called a taxi. For those of you who do not know what that is, kind of like an Uber, okay? We called a taxi and we moved to my grandmother's house, really leaving us homeless uh, with nowhere to live. My mother became a single mom and my parents divorced. I never had a father figure in my life. And my mother became what my father was to her, she became to us. She was a single mom who didn't know how to handle all of this pain and she began drinking. And um, by, by five, six years old, if you take a look at the picture of my family, 
Just to give you an idea, five, six years old, uh, which is my daughter's age sitting in the middle, at, by this time, my mom would drop us off at random people's homes so that she can have a weekend to herself. During one of these visitations, I was four, five, six years old, um, I was unfortunately sexually abused uh, by a family member. And, and I don't know if, if you've ever been there, but, but, but th by this age, by five or six years old, my world was shattered and broken. Not only was I being raised in a broken home, but now my dignity was taken from me. And I didn't know what to do with this. All I had was pain and I had anger and I had bitterness and, and I didn't understand how to process how people who were closest to me were the ones who kept walking out on me or the ones that would hurt me. And, and so these walls began to build up and, and I began to do the only thing I knew how to do. Um, that was, I want to be accepted. And I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with shame, but man, I was so shameful. And I was so shameful. I was so shameful and I didn't know how to cover this shame as a young boy. And, and you know, all throughout scripture, you see when Adam and Eve sinned, they had shame and they hid. You see Moses, he murdered, he had shame and he ran. You see David commits adultery, he had shame and he, he murdered and he ran and tried to cover it up. Something happens that when shame enters our life, we want to hide, we want to bury it, we want to forget about it. And so the solution to cover the power of shame in my life was to really, to numb it. By, by 10 years old, which is my oldest son, if you can see his sweet smile, I couldn't imagine this. By 10 years old, I was in, involved in sexual morality, drinking, uh, drugs. I just wanted to numb the pain and I was running. And the thing about shame is it's such a powerful emotion that shame, it's, it's interesting because shame will have you running when nobody is chasing. Shame will have you hiding when no one is looking for you. Shame will tie you to the past and it wants to keep you there, it wants to shame you, it wants to make you feel like you are dirty and you are worthless and don't ever think that you can be more than this. And it'll keep you stuck in the present because you're stuck in the present because you're paralyzed by the past. Then it'll blind you to the future because you think there's no way that God could ever use this. And you just stay in this cycle of shame trying to figure out how do I break this power of shame in my life so I thought I can break it by drugs, alcohol, and morality, giving myself out any way I can. And, and I began to just do anything and everything to cover this pain um, until, until I recognized what I was doing wasn't enough and it wasn't working. Have you ever asked God for a sign? You ever got desperate enough or you're just like, all right, God, I need a sign. I need something to happen, right? I need something, God. It's interesting when you become desperate, you just need a touch from God. Yeah. I was desperate and I needed a touch from God. And so I remember I was in College Station, Texas. I was moved to College Station from Houston because I was running from my shame and the poor decisions I had made in my life. I get 
to College Station. I began to make a lot of poor decisions that I was very embarrassed by. I'll never forget about midnight. I sit in the backyard and I just look up at the stars. And if you've ever been to College Station um, uh, or Texas, you'll know that everything is bigger and the stars were bigger out there in Texas. Amen, thank you. And I remember sitting out there and this is when I said, God, if you were real, would you send me a sign? I said, God, please, I'm broken. I'm so desperate. Nothing I'm doing is working. Please, God, let me know. Just a little touch. If you're so, has your soul ever been so parched that you just need a little touch? Yeah. That's where I was. So I said, here's what I want you to do so I know that it's you. Will you just take one of the stars that you said you created and shoot it? That's easy, that's nothing for God. Can you do it? And so I waited out there for 30 minutes and he didn't do it. I thought, of course not. If you're even real, why would you love someone like me after how dirty I am? If you're real, why didn't you protect me from everything I experienced? Where were you if you are real? He didn't give me a shooting star and so I went inside and my solution to break the power of the shame in my life was suicide attempt. I attempted suicide and, and thankfully I didn't succeed. My friend found me, but that was a breaking point for me that the shame had taken me to such a deep place and shame does this by the way. That shame takes you to such a deep place where you just want to escape it. You just want to escape the shame because your decisions are chasing you and they're haunting you and the enemy's whispering and I needed a touch from God and I felt like he didn't come through so I thought I would just take my life. If the creator doesn't want me or love me, I would just take my life. Thankfully, I have found out today that that is not true about our savior. Thankfully, I have found today, and thankfully, I did not succeed that November in 2006. I did not succeed, and thankfully, he spared my life in that he pulled me out of darkness into light. What I did not know is that the enemy loves to fight his battles in the dark, but we fight ours in the light. And in that moment, he pulled me out of the dark and brought me into the light. And I will tell you, when I tasted of his grace, I will never forget that day. 18, 20 years later, I am still so thankful that my father rescued me when I was drowning. When nobody, when my earthly father walked out, my heavenly father walked in and rescued me. But shame is powerful. Throughout the Gospels, I love that Jesus speaks to this because he is speaking to a culture of shame. We've heard of the, the first miracle, Jesus turning water into wine. Do you know that Jesus did that, not only to perform a sign of his authority, but do you know that during these seven-day festivities that if they ran out of any kind of food or wine, it would be shameful up upon the groom because it would look like the groom could not provide for the bride. In this culture, that was a big thing. And so what does Jesus do for his first miracle? He provides the wine to cover the shame, a foreshadowing of what he would do for humanity. This is what Jesus does when the woman at the well begins to hide from the people who are talking about her. She is filled with shame. She goes to the well, the hottest time of the day because nobody else would be here 
But guess who shows up to cover her shame? Jesus, this is what he does. So Jesus in Luke 15 begins to tell a story. In this culture, it's important that you know there are typically two categories of people. Humanity was divided in two categories. There was the religious and there was the unclean. The unclean often could not go to the synagogue because they were seen as too dirty to receive the word of God. So the religious leaders wanted to keep the word of God from the unclean and the outcast because they seemed like they were too far from God. So any time the unclean were to come across a religious leader, they would feel this automatic shame come on them because of the choices they have made. They couldn't escape it. So Jesus sits down and begins to teach this story in order to shatter this idea of grace. In fact, Jesus redefines grace for these people. He's about to set them free. And so here's what I want to do. You may have heard this story before, but what I would share with you is may we never grow old of the grace that we find in this story. Because it's not only his grace that saves us, but it's his grace that sustains us. And so what you're about to see is a beautiful picture of God's grace to those who are in deep shame. Luke 15, chapter 11, he says this, and he said, there was a young man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided this property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate and no one gave him anything, a little cultural context here. Um, this, this young man comes to his father uh, who typically he shouldn't have got his inheritance until his father passed away. When this young man comes to the father is what Jesus is sharing. At this point, you have those who are seen in this picture as the younger brother, those who feel shameful, those who are going their own way. I, I think we can all understand this. There may have been days, hours, or seasons where we have decided not to follow Jesus. There have been moments in our lives we have decided, I want to go this way. I know what you were saying, but I want to go this way. This young man is having this moment of saying, um, I, I know what I have with my father are a bunch of riches, but I want to show you he's going to go from riches to rags very quickly. The reason why he goes from riches to rags is because he takes the father out of the equation. The easiest way for you in this room today and for me in this room today to go from riches with our heavenly father to rags of brokenness is take him out of the equation of your life. And so this is what he does. I'm taking my father out of the equation because I think my way is the best way. And the father in his kindness and goodness allows him to go his own way. The son then begins to go his own way. And, and what you see here is the son, scripture says that he squandered it. At the end of the chapter says that he squandered it in reckless living. He squandered it in pursuing his heart. I don't even know what he was trying to fulfill. 
Was he empty? Did he not have peace? Was the father not enough? Was the father not giving him what he thought he deserved? We really don't know, but what we do know is he ran away from the father and he gets to this point where he is eating what the pigs are eating, which in the Jewish culture, he was seen as unclean just for being in contact with the pigs. He then finds himself in verse 16, just thinking, man, I wish I can be back with my father. He is probably wallowing in this shame because of the decisions that he has made. So we have this picture of this man pursuing the desires of his heart that lead to great destruction. He took his father out of the equation. You may be wondering, why is this a big deal? I'll share it with you. According to Deuteronomy 21, here's what should have happened to this young man for leaving his father. Listen to the text. Verse 18 says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He would not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So what should have happened for this man leaving his family life at, what should have happened according to the Jewish law is he could have and should have been stoned by the community and it would have been legal for humiliating his father. This guy gets to the point of brokenness where he's so broken and so desperate, it's like he says, God, give me a sign. Would you, would you give me a sign? And then he begins to enter this conversation with himself. I want you to listen to verse 20. If you want to see how do you break the power of shame in your life that is haunting you, here is the key right here. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. If you want to see the power of shame broken in your life, here's what it is, verse 17. But when he came to himself, it means that he recognized that he was so deep in sin that he was living outside of his father's will. And he recognized, I have to do something about it. He then confesses his sin, but you can have confession without repentance. This is why so many of us stay in the cycle of the same sin because we confess when we feel guilty, but we eat of the same sin when we get hungry. And so what the scripture is saying is you can confess and acknowledge you're in the wrong, but it's not until you do something about it and turn from it. Now you must be wondering, this son is thinking, According to the law, I'm supposed to be stoned. What's going to happen? And the enemy's probably, as he does you and with me, he's like, hey, just stay right there. 
just stay right, don't tell anybody about this, just hide it, bury it. But what happens when you hide and bury sin is it gives it life. It's like you're watering this seed that the enemy plants in the dark and produces fruit in public. That's what he wants to do. And the best way to uproot this so that this sin doesn't produce fruit in your life is to confess it. That's how you uproot it. And so he confessed it, he acknowledged it. You wanna break shame's power? Acknowledge and own it. This is because of me. I'm sorry, God. I'm tired of hiding. It's heavy on my life. This is what it is, Father. I am guilty, I am a sinner. Do you know why it's so good to confess the deepest stuff, the ugliness of your your life? Here's why, because it brings freedom and you will never understand the weight of his love until you understand the weight of your sin. And when you understand the weight of your sin and you bring it out, then you understand the weight of his love. But I, I am convinced that I cannot fully grasp his grace until I fully confess my sin. See, that is the key. You want to fully get his grace in all of it, but then fully confess your brokenness. Because when you confess and bring it out to the light, that's the beginning of restoration. And I know the enemy is telling you, don't say anything, you'll be judged. Don't say anything, you'll lose your job. Don't say anything, you'll lose your marriage. Don't say anything. But I'm here to tell you today that the enemy is a liar and when you bring it out to the light, it's the beginning of tasting of his goodness and his grace. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. Here is the thing about his grace. You can't be good enough to earn it and you can't be bad enough to disqualify from it. It's all through Christ and Christ alone. That's the goodness about his grace. And he has that to offer. So the son comes back to the father. I know we've heard this story before, but when he arises, he comes back showing a change of heart and repentance. And it says, scripture says that while he was a long way off, underline that, circle that, while he was a long way off, meaning the father was waiting for him to turn, that it doesn't matter how far off he was, that he wasn't too far to receive the father's love. And then scripture says that the father runs out in Jewish culture, it would bring shame upon a man of honor for him to run, but then he raised his tunic showing his legs. In this culture, you don't show your legs. It is humiliating. So the father humiliated himself in order to cover his son's shame. And I love what happens next. He says, hey, I want everybody to know. Remember I read Deuteronomy 21? So when that son was coming back, you probably had the religious people with stones like, let's get him, let's get him, here he comes. So the father runs and he covers covers his shame and he holds him, says, this is my son, put your stones down. I don't care what he has done, I love him, he is mine. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I, I know he's lived a horrible life, I know he's seen as dirty, I know he's seen as unclean, but I want you to get the best robe for my son and I'm gonna cover him with my righteousness no matter how dirty he is. Put this robe on him, in fact, put a ring back on him to show that he is part of the family and he has authority and my son is no servant he has no shoes on so put some sandals on his feet because he is now back where he belongs this is my son then they throw a party for him 
And you could imagine this, this, this guy comes back and, and scripture says that he squandered it with prostitutes. So we know he's sexually immoral. We know he's, he's dishonored the father. We know he's been doing his own thing and feeding his flesh. He doesn't deserve any of this. And the father comes and if it was me, and if it was me, I, I would have been like, listen, if you just forgive me, that's enough. Can you imagine when, when the son comes and the father's just holding him and he's crying, dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I went my own way. I'm so sorry. And this would have been enough. Just accept me back. But the father says, no, I got more for you. I'm going to put this robe on you, son. He's probably like, no, nah, I don't deserve it. Let me take a shower first. I'm, I'm dirty. I don't deserve this. Like, no, you're my son. Come here. Come here, son. You're my son. I'm going to cover you with my righteousness. All right, but that's enough. That's enough. Everyone's starting to watch right now. Dad, everyone's watching me. That's enough. No, I'm going to put a ring and I'm going to let all of them see that I am not embarrassed by your act. I love you. All right, but that's good. The, 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 the ring is enough. The ring is enough. The ring is enough. No, 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 no. I'm going to put some shoes on your feet because you've been walking and living in sin. Let me cover you up because you're no servant to sin. You're no slave to sin. You're free and you're my child. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. That's it. No, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a party. No, because everyone's going to know that I was sinning. They're going to see me. No, you're home. Can you imagine? Can you, if that was me, oh, my goodness. I would have been like at the party. You know, it would have been a mixtape, a little Drake, God's plan. You know, God's plan. <laughs> but then I would have had Anna Golden, and I would have had what he's done. What he's done, what he's done. All the glory and honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I thank God what he's done. See, when you understand the weight of your sin, you're overwhelmed by his grace just overwhelmed. He's just like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And everything I have is because of you, what he's done. Oh my gosh. It would have been enough if you forgave me, but then you clothed me with your righteousness. It would have been enough if you forgave me, but you gave me a ring of authority and co-heir with Christ. It would have been enough if you gave me a ring, but you gave me sandals on my feet. It would have been enough if then you throw me a party and the angels in heaven celebrate because I repented. You alone would have been enough, but you showered me with your grace and with your gifts. You are a good, good father. And in that moment, he went from riches to rags to rags to riches because he was back with the father. My son, Balin, when he was young, my wife and I lived in a little bitty home apartment in Nashville. And we were barely making it check to check. I was fresh out of seminary. And I get home one day from work. And at this point, my son's about a year old. And my wife stops me at the door. She says, before you come in, I have to let you know that he found the Sharpie when I was napping and it's all over the wall. And I was like, oh Lord, I didn't know who to blame, her or him, I didn't know. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we're gonna lose our deposit. We're gonna, and all, it's like, let me, let me think about this for a minute. So I said, okay. I walk in the house and um, I don't have a deep voice, but I, I know how to fluctuate my voice to where it puts some fear in my kids. And so I said, hey, hey, Balin, dad's home. And Balin um, doesn't come out, he's hiding. 
said, hey, Balin, where you at, buddy? And I wish you guys could have seen. He came out, and um, he comes out from around his room, and he has his head down, just shameful and filled with sin. He's like walking like this. Yes, Dad? I'm like, come here, son. He can't even look at me in the eye. He's like, yeah, yes, yes, Dad. And he's, his lips quivering. I'm like, you little sucker, you're guilty, you know? <laughs> and so here's what I do. I want to get eye level with him. So I take a knee and I say, hey, buddy, talk to me. What happened today? He's like, oh, oh no, oh, no. And it's like I'm a mean dad. I mean, geez. And, and so I say, well, what happened to that wall? He's like, oh, oh, no. I said, well, did mom mark that up? And he's looked at me, he's like, huh? I was like, buddy. <laughs> I said, buddy, I need you to be honest with me. And he, you can just see this shame on him. And his hands are behind his back. I said, come here, look at me in the eyes. He's, he's already crying. I said, look at me. Did you mark up the wall? I said, let me see your hands. And he slowly marked up with marker. And I said, you little sinner. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And he pulls his hands out. And the evidence is there. I said, did you do it? I just needed him to say, yes. Did you do it? Did you do it? Yes. So I took his hands and go, I love you. I just need you to be honest so daddy can show you some grace. And I wish you could have seen. He went from wearing this shame because he was guilty to me kissing his hands and giving him grace. The little sucker stood up and was like, what he's done, what he's done. So what's the key? You show him your hands. You, you want to break the power of shame in your life and the whispers in the enemy telling you you're not enough, that God cannot use you, that you fell too deeply, that you were too far gone. Scripture says that he, while he was a long way off, you can be in this room and as far as you think you are from God and think you are too far, let me just tell you, while you are long way off, he sent his son to die on the cross for you to cover your shame of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And maybe you're in this room today and you're saying, I'm like you, I'm waiting for a sign so you can tell me you love me. Do you love me? I will tell you, over 2,000 years ago, he sent all of us a sign, and his name was Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can sing and never forget what he has done, and he is a good, good father. You want to break free? Show him your hands. Oh, you got to show if you want to taste that grace, that life-changing, transformative grace, show him your hands. And you will see how God can take broken people to reach broken people. You will see how he can take the ugliest thing in your life and do what only he can do and make it beautiful. And you will be singing, God, if you would have forgiven me, this would have been enough. But you restored me. 
and you lavished me with your love. Show them your hands. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.